I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today I'm talking to Kurt and Christina Flinchbaugh from the Lehigh Valley Church of Christ. In this episode, they share about how Kurt shared his faith on the way to the hospital after getting involved in a nearly fatal bicycling accident, how Christina dealt with a secret eating disorder, how they've doubled their mission planting over the last three years, how Kurt's life flipped upside down when a power lifter met and shared the Bible with him in a gym in 2010, how Christina quotes Lone Survivor to help people stop living in the past, and their evangelism strategy, how they keep multiple lines in the water to reach the lost. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today I'm talking to Christina and Kurt Flinchbaugh from Lehigh, Pennsylvania. Kurt was at the Climb Small Church Leadership Conference. After coming back, I was talking to my son James and he's like, you need to talk to Kurt Flinchbaugh. That guy's a really inspiring guy. And I said, why do you say that? And he said, well, he got in a massive accident. And on his way to the hospital, he was sharing with the emergency medical technicians in the hospital, in the, in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And I had noticed the scar on Kurt's face. And I thought, I really do need to talk to this guy. And so I'm looking forward to talking to him and his wife, Christina. Before we get into the program, I want to let you know about something that's happening here in Tucson. Pam and I are looking for a couple to lead the University of Arizona campus ministry and work side-by-side with us as associate ministers. The current, current associate minister and campus leader, Kelsey and Jelaine Hahn, will be returning to the foreign mission field this summer, and the position is going to be vacated. This full-time and complete benefits position offers a chance to lead, learn, grow, and train to become an evangelist and women's ministry leader within two to four years. The goal is to assist us to multiply disciples and leaders so that the church can plant 10 churches over the next 10 years. If you're interested or know of someone who is, you can find out more information on the Disciples Today website, or else you can just email me at rob at robskinner.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Kurt and Christina, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Where do you guys live? So we live in the Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's an area of three smaller cities, Allentown, Bethlehem, and Easton. It's about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia and two hours west of New York. Okay, so I've got a son-in-law who is from Lebanon. Where, where is that in relation to that? That's another hour and a half to two hours west of us, so out towards Hershey. Okay, okay. And how old are you guys? I'm 32, 
And, and I'm 31, but I'll say 28 because <laughs> I like that number better. Christina <laughs> doesn't like odd numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to you guys beforehand. I was like, you guys look so young. I can't believe it. I just... It's really just our immaturity. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah. Well, how did, you, how, how did you guys become Christians? So I, um, so I grew up Catholic and uh, all through grade school and high school, I was pretty straight edge, like didn't drink, didn't smoke, was going to save sex till marriage, went to church every Sunday, was an altar boy. And uh, I hit college and I kind of got tired of being the nice, quiet, shy, religious guy that finished last. And so I threw it all out the window mm. and redefined myself. And um, I became that dude on campus. Like when you think of that guy, that was me. I tried to start a fraternity. I tried to start a wrestling team. Um, and within my freshman year of college, we went to a small school. We actually met in college. So we went to a small school about an hour north of Philadelphia, uh, Gwinnett Mercy University. And uh, I, you know, had everything the world told me I was supposed to have in college. I was invited to every party. I was living a crazy worldly life had a full scholarship, was working out, had friends, was popular, was involved in student activity groups. And I kind of realized after a while that I was missing something. And I thought I was missing a relationship. I, I'm actually um, a little bit of a hopeless romantic at heart. And so I didn't like the random hookup scene. And, and I kind of felt like I was missing a, a girlfriend. And so I felt like that was an easy fix because we went to a school that was 70% female and I was a nursing major. So I was one of like four guys in my classes. And, uh, <laughs> met, and, and so as a, as a non, yeah, non disciple, uh, I met Christina. And as if, if, if this is recorded, if, if you were seeing this video, you'd see Christina's way out of my league. Uh, mm -hmm. I know I'm a catch, but she's still way out of my league. And um, I started pursuing Christina. And we talked and I pursued her for about four months and we finally started dating. And I remember realizing like she was incredible and she was the absolute best woman I've, I'd ever been around. And if I ever broke up with her, it was only going downhill from there. Like there was, there was no one better than her. I, I was never going to find someone better than her. And, uh, but I still felt like something was missing. And, and so I knew the answer wasn't go find another girlfriend because I clearly was dating the best one I had ever met in my life. And, and so it kind of clicked one day, like I realized I was missing God because I wasn't going to church and, and you know, I'd, I'd thrown away a lot of the morality that I'd grown up with. And so I, I, I went back to church and I felt like a hypocrite. I would go back to mass and there was eight of us sitting in a room who had all been at the party the night before or tried to fight each other the week before. And, uh, I, and then I would start church hopping and I, Christina grew up in, in a uh, non-denominational kind of mega church and, and I'd met some of her friends who were, you know, hanging around a bonfire underage, drinking beer, cursing about their jobs. And I hung out with them and was like, okay, these are my people. I went to church with them and every one of them, except Christina put on a totally different face and acted like they were someone totally different and were condescending. And, and I was like, I'm going to have an assault charge. Like if I stay here, I'm going to hurt somebody. Um, I was like, <laughs> so if I go to my church, I'm a hypocrite. If I go to any other church, I'm going to have an assault record for punching someone in the face, but I believe in God. And, and so I praying for me and so my soft college I, I like I'm knees and just begging God like hey I know you're there I know I'm the one who's left you and drifted from you bring me back and and I like remember saying amen and expecting my television to catch on fire and a voice to start speaking to me and okay. none of that happened. okay Kurt wait a second I there was some buffering there we need to kind of go back there okay when you when you're praying it it got it got lost we're gonna have to 
I'll have to edit that out. Sure. So where do you want me to start back up? Uh, not punching people in the face. <laughs> <laughs> So you, I, you started, I, you started praying. So I, I started praying and, um, I, I basically knew that God was there and that I was the one who had drifted. And so I basically was just begging God to come find me. And, and I honestly expected my television to like catch on fire and a voice to start speaking to me or something and, and nothing happened. And so I just decided I would wait and see how God would move. And so two weeks later, um, our world got flipped upside down, um, I went through a really difficult uh, finals week and I got humbled and got in risk of kind of losing my scholarship. Uh, Christina and I, a bunch of our sin and kind of like the facade of these good religious people that we put up got exposed. And, and, and I was really starting to question, like, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not living the way God wants me to. And I met a power lifter at the gym who was a single brother and a 40 year old single guy lifting at the gym, a world record power lifter. And uh, he, him and I had, decided we were going to work out together on Friday and I met him on a Wednesday. And as I walked around the gym with my headphones, blasting heavy metal, trying to find a, a weight that I needed, I walked by him as he invited someone else to midweek. And so he was sharing his faith with somebody else. And uh, I stopped and, and asked him about it. And he asked me to come out to his car and show me a scripture. And the only reason I said yes, is I was afraid if I said no, he wouldn't teach me how to bench press 500 pounds. Um, <laughs> And so I went out to his car, like totally expecting to not listen to anything he says. And uh, he showed me um, Acts 17, 24 to 26 from one man, God made every nation of men. And he made me realize that it wasn't a coincidence that I met him and, and that this was God answering my prayer. And then he showed me 2 Timothy 3, 16, that the word was the standard. And then he asked me what the difference between a disciple and a Christian was. And I went in a super long convoluted answer and said, I'm not a, I'm not a disciple, but I'm a Christian because like, I believe in the stuff. That's it. Like, thanks, man. You fixed me. I'll just go be a better Christian. And he showed me Acts 11. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch and uh, my world flipped upside down. And I just remember sitting there being like, I'm not a Christian. I'm not right with Jesus. I'm not going to heaven. I don't know anyone who lives this the right way. Like you need to teach this to me. Um, and so I started studying the Bible, Christina and I, because of our sin getting exposed and, and kind of this, this facade falling down had actually decided to be pure two weeks before I met him. We decided we weren't even going to kiss until we kind of figured out what God wanted. So I start studying the Bible and, uh, Christina and I were dating and, and Christina kind of assumed that me studying the Bible would mean that she was right. And I was wrong like because we would argue about our faith and stuff. And I was so excited for him to be like, oh, okay, he'll finally understand that I was I had it all right. Good, good little boy will be, be yeah. converted. <laughs> and uh, so I leave my first Bible study a couple of weeks after that. And all we did was study out what the Bible is, right? And the word of God. And Christina and I had to work on a group project together. And I'm sitting there and she's kind of like, how was your Bible study? A little smug. And, and I'm sitting there and I couldn't even bring myself to say it. Like I could only whisper. I was like, this is the word of God. <laughs> this is God speaking. And she goes, I know. I was like, yeah, no, you don't. If you knew this, we wouldn't be living the way we're living. Like we have to figure this out. Um, and so Christina started studying the Bible with, uh, so this guy, Terrence was the single brother that studied with me. He brought in a married brother, Josh, who his wife started studying with Christina. And so we wrestled like crazy. I studied the Bible for about four months um, really tearing apart my previous beliefs, the catechism of the Catholic church, what, what the Bible really says. Yeah. And uh, after about four months decided like, okay, I'm in, 
I have no more excuses. They've all been removed. I want to follow Jesus. Mm. And so March 31st, 2010, I got baptized. Uh, Christina counted the cost the night that I was baptized, um, was set up to be baptized two days later. Um, but then in the process of that, and I'll let her share, um, it got exposed that while she was studying the Bible, it got exposed that she had an eating disorder and major depression. Um, and so part of her repentance was getting into therapy and like really dealing with those demons and dealing with that, that past. Um, and that, that caused her to really slow down a little bit. So, so she got baptized June 6th, 2010. I was messed like up the that. day, June something. June something. Um, it's okay. But yeah, so that, that's how we met and became Christians in that journey. Yeah. I, I always feel for, you know, when you're saying the Bible with somebody and then they totally ghost you for months and you're like, what, what happened? We were making such progress. We're having these great conversations. And I just totally cut everybody off. Um, like I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get baptized. Nothing for months. Um, they would try and reach out. I wouldn't respond or we would go on a prayer walk and I would just kind of put up all these walls. And um, it was, it wasn't until we did the sin study and, and I wrote out, I remember writing out my list of sin and uh, it was right before I was going into clinical and nursing school. And I, I just ripped it up and threw it down the, like one of the sewer drains. I was like, I'm not bringing this. And so I, I, I lied and said, I forgot it. I don't even know if Michelle knows that I lied to her. I probably should have confessed that. <laughs> um, but, and, and so what she does is she goes through Galatians 5 and just really asking me and just asking questions. And she point blank just asks, she goes, have you ever struggled with an eating disorder? And I, I mean, I had lied to Kurt. I had, I mean, I had, go, I go, I went through periods of, you know, binging and purging and then restricting um, probably since about I was 12. So sixth grade or so. Um, and just kind of hit it for a while because I felt like I didn't look like a certain body size. So therefore I don't have a problem. Um, when I, you know, when I hit 70 pounds, then I have a problem. Mm. Um, and, and so I was still able to, you know, be in dance, still run, do cross country, do all the things that I felt like a functioning human could do. Um, and she asked me point blank, do I have an eating disorder? And I, I said, yes. I, I have no idea why I was honest with her. Mm. I mean, I lied to her that I didn't bring my sin study. So why would I tell her the truth about any of that? And um, that was kind of the, the snowball effect of me needing to get treatment and just starting to go to a counselor at school. And then they saying, this is way out of their league. So um, went into Renfrew, which is an eating disorder treatment center in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. Um, and so wrestled through all of that. And I think even realizing like Kurt being my coping skill I, you know, I idolized our relationship and that being my coping skill, pretending everything was okay. And I felt like all of my, my ability to cope just got thrown out the window. Um, and, and so it was just kind of this open wound that, and I felt like I was losing my mind. Um, and so in the process of getting treatment, I, it was ruled out um, bipolar, manic depressive, generalized anxiety, major depressive disorder, all of these different diagnoses we I was kind of trying to figure out where I was at. Um, and so even in that, just multiple, I had multiple suicide attempts under my belt by that point, self-harm. Um, and so there was a lot that just kind of got op um, ripped open at that point to and exposed. Um, and I, I went back and forth between, you know, I, I was, you know, my dad had left when I was 12. And so my mom was my everything. And she's, she's incredible. She's the funny, one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. And and so for me, I'm the oldest of five. And so taking care of them, realizing, okay, well, if I, if I change course and I follow the Bible, I'm kind of 
going against what I learned growing up. And so do I, I'm making this decision between going through this, going through therapy, idolizing, you know, this relationship and not wanting to hurt my mom and, and really wanting to respect that. And so going, okay, is, is Jesus Lord or is everything that I feel going to be Lord? Um, and that's kind of, I think that's why I just ghosted everybody because I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and I wanted to make everybody happy. I, the ultimate people pleaser, wanting to save face, avoid conflict, and just make everybody happy with me. And so um, it took until there was one day where I just, I was stuck. I, there was there was no Bible study that they could figure out. Even Michelle was like, I had no idea what to do with you. Um, and, and so we're, she's like, I, I challenge you to take a day and just fast from social media. She couldn't, I didn't fast from food. It was just fast from Kurt. And it was, it was actually right before we were supposed to take our boards. Um, and so we, we had this beach trip planned where we just go to the beach for the day until we started really kicking off studying for our nursing boards. And um, I, it was one of those odd days where I had the house to myself because I commuted from school. So I lived at home and I just spent all day just, I had papers on doctrinal stuff for baptism, against baptism, repentance, once saved, always saved, faith only. I, I mean, I just tore it apart. And, um, and I, I just, I opened it up. I was like, all right, forget it. And I, I just opened up to Matthew and I said, I'll start from the beginning. Let me just read. And, and so I, I prayed and I didn't even get to reading. I went, okay, if I'm gonna claim that Jesus is real, then I need to claim and also say that all of the things that he says here are true. And so I either have to, I kind of came to a decision where I was, okay, if I'm going to say that God is real, then I'm all in and I need to believe all of this. And, and I can't just half live this truth and kind of what I had been doing my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, I was like, all right, the Bible says to get baptized, to repent and to change and make him Lord. I got to do what I got to do. Um, Cause at that point I couldn't face it and go, God's not real. I was already convinced of that at that point. And so everything else kind of just was laid out after that of going, okay, I'll, I'll do what I got to do to make Jesus Lord. And um, I felt it, you know, that was, got baptized in June of 2010 and still, you know, going through treatment and, and still figuring out which, which meds were appropriate and still studying for my boards and working and taking care of my siblings. Um, I, I really thought I went crazy. Mm. Uh, there was a, there was a couple times of just really needing to, you know, there was points where it was, okay, am I getting hospitalized? Am I not? And, um, <clears throat> and that was kind of, that's kind of been my logic sense of, I made this logical decision, Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, then the rest of my life needs to align with the scriptures, which made purity very easy. I think from that moment on, because we had struggled so much and I'd idolized him as a, Kurt as a person. And, and so the, the emotional connection, emotions of loving Jesus and building that relationship has kind of grown from that logical decision to become a disciple. Mm. And so I think every year I, I grow in being able to emotionally connect to my faith uh, because I, I couldn't trust my emotions back then. It had to be such a logical decision. Which is always so. funny because I was the opposite. So her baptism <laughs> is very logical and like, this is what the Bible says, I must obey. And like, I'm going to trust it. Mm -hmm. I had grown up my whole life, never having emotion attached to my faith. It was always just logic and do what's right. And so my baptism, I'm like, I jump out of the water. I was like, who wants a hug? And like, <laughs> just total polar opposite. Like, yeah. and so it's been cool to balance each other through that as well. 
Christina, how did you how did you overcome that eating disorder? I mean, what what helped you? Like, is it something that it got solved right then when you walked out of the waters of baptism? Wasn't an issue after that, or was it something that you continued to to work on even to this day? What talk to me about that? And not to not to belittle any other addiction or you know substance abuse. Um, with alcohol or with a drug, you can stay away from it. Whereas I had to fight the the enemy was food, which if you really look at it, it it's obviously there's emotions and control and things that are underlying. Um, but I had going through treatment, still having to eat to live, but also trying to combat that it was the enemy. It's like going to AA, but still drinking every day, but having to figure out how to come up with a balance. It, it just, um, and so I, through that, I, I still, I was in treatment. I would go to intensive outpatient. Then it was, what was it? Therapy twice a week. And then kind of titrated from there. Um, I'm still, I still actually take the Prozac that I was, I was given, I was ordered back 10 years ago at this point, 10, 12, 13, I don't know whatever year it is. It's 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, 11 or 12. And so I think even till this day, still trying to figure out what is a healthy approach to, to body image and to eating and how to eat. And it's, it's a different battle now. Um, I, I found through, I, I really felt like COVID was, a, it changed everything. Um, I went from you know, the world's going crazy. And then to COVID, I felt like it eliminated a lot of excuses. I can't really think of the wording for it, but I, I, I said, and I started just, okay, I'm going to start these workouts and really being disciplined in why I work out and enjoying it and pushing my body and really having that my body has a purpose. And let's see what this purpose can be rather than it being this image. Because um, It was all about, let me let me be the skinniest person I could possibly be. And, um, but really being able to through doing CrossFit workouts and um, keto has been a huge game changer and less of doing keto for the weight loss, but really because of how it affects my brain. Um, and, and so really being able to put in some structure within, and, and obviously having cheat days because I go ham on Mondays where I just eat whatever I want and, it, and, and I actually can recover from it. And my, my ice cream, I have cheesecake always in my fridge on Sunday nights, ready to go. <laughs> so. Now, Kurt, did you know that this was going on? Did you know this was a part of Christina's life when you guys, at this period of time, right before your baptism? I, I, so I didn't know until it came out in that Bible study with Michelle. And so Michelle and Josh Bird uh, studied the Bible with us um, and uh, really, honestly, just believed in the power of God and were willing to be patient with us. And uh, so they, part of what they did is they had Christina talk to me about it. And then they had me get involved with, I mean, I, I went to counseling sessions with her to learn how I could support and help. And so I, I didn't know until Michelle um, and the Holy Spirit convicted Christina. And it's funny, even to this day, like we, we've asked Michelle, what, like what made her ask that? She goes, I never asked that. It was just the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. And so I said it. Wow. Um, it, it honestly, I, I look at it as like, it's, it saved Christina's life. Um, so yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, that is such an interesting story. What an interesting conversion story. I think about the power lifter in the gym. I mean, I, I just can't imagine saying, Hey, I'm going to share a script. Hey, let's go out the parking lot. Let's just do a Bible study right now. 
yep. and basically That's do a combination of the word study, discipleship, and disciple equals Christian equals saved. Boom, right there on the trunk of your park of your car, right there in the parking lot. Kind of blow away, man. Give that guy some serious props. That's awesome. Well, it's really crazy. Like, so Chip, <laughs> when, when Chip Mitchell heard that story when he came to Philly, because we, we were on staff in Philly when the Mitchells came in, and uh, he was like, wait, so like how long did you, because you know, Chip's story, he got baptized like uh, two days later, right? He goes, so when did you get baptized? Four months later. He's like, wait, what? I, know. <laughs> I, like, I had to wrestle. Like, I knew where I stood. I just didn't know if I wanted to change. Like, I needed some time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so you guys are both nurses. That's pretty cool. Okay, that's fantastic. Your school that you're going to is is primarily medical nursing. Nursing. Okay, it's, it's known for its nursing program. So, so how long were you guys dating before you guys got baptized? So I got baptized the day before our one year dating anniversary. Okay, so we dated we dated for one year in the world, and then we dated for two and a half years as disciples before we got married because oh. I wasn't going to propose till we got out of school, and so. And I wanted him to propose the next day. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, how? What led you guys into ministry? So we, um, so we got we got baptized, and uh, we were the first campus conversions in the north suburban area of Philadelphia. So the Philly Church is divided into, or at the time was divided into four regions, and so they had a really healthy, strong campus ministry in the city, and then they had this north. It was called the North Region. It was like the suburbs within an hour drive north of the city. And uh, that region hadn't had full-time leadership in about eight years. And so they hired the birds to come in right as we started studying the Bible. And uh, they hadn't had any campus students. They hadn't had any campus baptisms. And there's a bunch of small little schools throughout that area. And so once we got baptized, um, well, got baptized six months later, almost fell away. God kind of rebuked us and got our heads on straight. And then uh, within a year and a half of my baptism, God took that campus ministry from zero to 11 of us on five campuses, averaging 35 people a week from all five of those schools. Um, and so we just kind of, we didn't know what we were doing. We, our lives just changed and people saw it and we were like, yo, come, come here to this thing. Like, let's, let's come, come see the, this guy that told me everything I ever did. Right. And uh, the Samaritan woman. And uh, through that, I, you know, we just kind of led by default. Like we were learning how to lead because we, we were just the first ones. And so I was like, well, all right, what do we got to do? Like, how do I disciple someone? How do I, what do I do here? And, and didn't really want ministry, but knew that we were leaders and knew that we were going to use our gifts for God. Um, and so we graduated and our school was an accelerated program for nursing. And so your junior year and your senior year, you had your RN and you could work while you were finishing your bachelor's degree. And so worked for two, three years in the nursing field. And then uh, we graduated and felt really called by God to do our own one-year challenge. And so we created our own one-year challenge in that region of Philly, rather than go somewhere else. We saw the need and we knew that if we left, there really wasn't anyone that could lead that group that was graduating and becoming singles in that region. And, and, and so there was a need. So we both restricted our working times and rather than going full-time, went to like bare minimum part-time as newlyweds, like whatever it was to pay our bills was what we worked. And then the rest of our time, we went to the region leaders, Josh and Michelle, and said, treat us like you paid us. And um, honestly, we, we still resisted the idea of doing full-time ministry. I think we were afraid of it. Like as a, as a volunteer, you really can't do much wrong. Like you're just good hearted and there's not pressure. 
Um, and also we, we were really good at our jobs. Um, and there was a lot of safety there, a lot of safety in like, I have a career path in the psych nursing field. I'm, I'm getting groomed for some like decent career path steps here within this field. I'm really good at this and I make a difference here. I don't know if I'll be good at ministry. And, and so we were pretty hesitant to the idea of ministry, but the more we did the one-year challenge, the more we felt God calling us. And the more I felt like, if I don't give this a shot, I'm going to regret this. Like, and, and so it wasn't like I wanted to do the ministry. In fact, I was probably afraid of it, um, but I knew God was calling me to give it a try. And then, and so at the end of, after about six months of a one-year challenge, we got hired by Philly to work part-time with the inner city campuses. Um, and then at the end of that six months, we, uh, we decided we wanted ministry, prayed, and then um, that we actually got offered the full-time position as the Malcolms moved to State College. And so they offered us the full-time spot in Philly to lead the campus ministry. And um never looked back. And so since then, it's been, it's been cool because there's nothing I'd rather do with my life. But that passion, that excitement, that joy, that drive for ministry came after the calling. Um, I think sometimes people ask me, like, how do you get young people to want ministry? And I'm like, I don't know. I just was called, like, we got to get them to see God's calling. And then the, like, once you do this job, you're like, this is the greatest job in the world. Why would I do anything else with my life? But I needed to be called into it. And, and that was kind of for me. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to have my cake and eat it too when it came to ministry. I loved working as a nurse. The paychecks were nice. And, and so, <laughs> but I also, I also liked my sugar mom. Yeah, right. <laughs> I also like being able to just help people in their faith, um, just reaching out and, and kind of being this assistant when it came to being this one year challenge. I, I love doing all the behind the scenes stuff. I, I'd never, petrified of two things in life and it's public speaking and pool vacuums and <laughs> so the idea the idea of of having to speak that's what I thought ministry was you get up and you speak and I, I didn't want any of that I just wanted to help whoever was going to do that um and that even I mean even coming out here <laughs> I would definitely it wasn't even the idea of planting a church I was like oh you you guys go I'll come and help you with Lehigh um I didn't think that we'd end up doing it but yeah, we amen we have <laughs> so. we have write, written down prayers from an icmc in 2014 or 15 yeah. like three or four years uh not three or four yeah three or four years before the planning happened where yeah. we were like we're gonna go to lehigh we're gonna help plant the church but the birds are gonna lead it and we're just gonna support them yeah um but but her sharing that story also i i, I do remember like with nursing, like when I was going to this, the psych hospital during the one-year challenge, I felt so called by God to it that one of the things that would happen is I would, I would do all these things at the psych job. And like, I've, I've stopped suicides with my bare hands. I've stopped attempted murders with my bare hands. Like I've had crazy riots at the psych job. Like I, I, was, I was good at it, but I would leave frustrated because that was eight hours. I wasn't on campus changing people's eternity. Like I remember being like, I'm putting band-aids on problems that if I could just get them to study the Bible, I could fix it. Like God could heal it. God could change it. And, and obviously I'm a, I'm a big believer in therapy. I'm a big believer in like, we need that. But I knew that I, I could do more as a minister. I knew that I was able to teach people. Like I was able to help people learn how to help people with the Bible. And I was like, I, I can change people's eternities. Like I can not only change their life, I can change every life they impact for the rest of their lives, which will change like the ripple effect of that. And, and, and it got to the point where like, once we decided we want ministry, I hate it going to work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, there are multiple times I, I pulled over on the side of the road and like got physically sick. Cause I was like, I should be changing people's souls right now. Why am I coming to this company? 
Um, and I had to work through my heart there and get surrendered to like God's timing. And I basically had to believe that God had me there still for a reason. Um, and, and sure enough, uh, we went in ministry and a really good friend of mine from that job got baptized the day before we went part-time ministry. Um, like you used to work double overnights to compact all of your hours into one week so that he could have a whole week off to just do ministry. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like be up for 36 hours, take a six hour nap and get on campus with a cup of coffee. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. So you got baptized in 2010, the spring of 2010 worked for a few years, went into the campus ministry, led the campus ministry in Philadelphia. Then how did you get into this planting? Talk, talk to me about the planting to where you're at now, Lehigh Valley. Sure. Um, so we, we went full-time ministry in Philly and um, in doing so, so I guess back up before we went full-time ministry, we, the first ICMC I went to um, was in Athens, Georgia. And uh, the Saturday night main session um, I don't remember all the details. I've since tried to figure out who said this. And if anyone listening to the podcast knows the details of who said it, let me know so I can go thank them. But before, <laughs> the, before the Saturday night session, so one of, one of the brothers in my Bible talk was late getting to the bus to transport us. And I was, I was struggling because I wanted a good seat. And we ended up sitting in like the top back portion of the auditorium. We're on like the third level in the back corner. And I was like, man, I want it to be up by the stage. Like it's Saturday night. Like this is the fiery lesson. And I'm freaking out. Just curled up in a ball crying because of the amount of people in one room. Polar opposite experiences yeah. around massive crowds. And um, so God has used conferences to really mold our life as much as we have kind of a starry past with them. Like I, I stopped falling away because of the conference and the worship during it. And then we honestly at another conference at ICMC caught a vision for leading Lehigh. So we're at this conference and there's like a 15 minute or like five minute announcement about the need to do one year challenges. And I don't know who did it, but someone got up before the sermon and did a five minute announcement about like, we need people who are willing to do the one year challenge, who are willing to pause their careers and come help small churches advance the gospel in places that can't afford ministry staff. And God ripped my heart open. I, I sat in the back of that auditorium, the entire 45 minute sermon, and I didn't hear a single word. I wept and I wrote down every school where we were. And I wrote down all the schools north of us, which were like Lehigh University, Lafayette, like I just started writing schools in Lehigh Valley because it was the next area that I knew that didn't have like a church in our fellowship that to my knowledge didn't have disciples making disciples. And and I, and I sat there and I'm writing all these schools out. I'm weeping. I'm super thankful that that brother was late because no one could see me weeping in the back corner. (laughs) And um, I leave and Jameson Malcolm, my campus minister sees me and and he's not a crier and neither am I, but he sees me, grabs me by the shoulders. We both have tears in our eyes and he goes, follow me. And we get on the roof of this like parking garage and he goes, whatever's in your heart, pray for it. And so we, I prayed for Lehigh. I prayed that a church would get planted here and that I could come and help. And we went in the ministry two years later and we thought we gave up that dream um, because we just thought, well, we're going to go into Philly and we're going to help here. And God's called us here. And um, never in a million years, I've learned never to say never. We fell in love with Philly and I, on record saying it at a, at a staff meeting in Philly, I said, never will I live in the city. Yeah. And then I fell in love. Same. And then we didn't want to leave. Yeah. And so we're in, we're in Philly and uh, Christina's aunt used to live out here in Bethlehem. And so we came up for Thanksgiving and uh, driving home. We, we knew it was like November, it was Thanksgiving time. We knew that the staff meeting in January for the PA churches was going to start planning the Lehigh planting. And we were just driving home and out of nowhere, the Holy Spirit just kind of put it on my heart to turn the radio off, turn to Christina and say, do we still want Lehigh? Like, we're about to start talking about this. 
she said no at first. She was like, no, I like Philly. But we, we determined we would pray for it. And so we start praying and fasting. And the more we prayed and fasted, the more that that fire for this area grew back and very much again felt like God is calling us to come here. Um, and we loved what we were doing in Philly. We had started a region in U City and really believed in what we had begun. But we also really believed in this. And so we felt like no matter what God called us to do, we'd be excited and we would mourn. Like if we stayed in Philly, we'd be excited to finish the U City region and, and see it to completion. But we'd also mourn not coming to the planting. But if God called us to Lehigh, we'd be fired up to live out our dream that we prayed for years before, but mourn not being able to do Philly. And, and so we felt like that was a pretty good place to be. And so we just went up to the Mitchells and the Evans and said, hey, we want to be considered, but we're OK either way. Didn't really tell them much of the backstory. Didn't tell them that like God had put in their heart. Didn't want to sway them. Just felt like, okay, God, make it clear. And and our prayer was just let them make the decision. Let mm. them call us. And so they called us and said they wanted us to go. And without hesitation, we said yes and haven't looked back. It's been it's been really fun. So did you guys form a team? Were there disciples already there? What? So the the valley was planted because it's the fourth largest area in the state of Pennsylvania, and we didn't have a church. Uh, so we formed a team and there were people living out here already that were either commuting to Philly or commuting to New York. So we, uh, the Lehigh Valley Church was planted by the ACR Mission Society. So churches in uh, PA, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, Maryland, uh, Delaware, all pooled resources to plant the church. And so we were able to financially get the support from that planting society. And then we were able to travel around the ACR recruiting people to come join us. And so we were able to, we had a team of, including Christina and I, we had 27 adults oh, nice. moved to the planting. We were joined by nine people that were already out here. Um, and so we saw God start the church with 36, September 2018. Okay. So you started with 36, September of 2018. How big is your church now? 62. Oh, that's awesome. So you got in three years, you guys have doubled your, your church size. It, it's all God. That must feel really good. So I'm looking here on the map, and I, am I looking in the right area? Allentown, Bethlehem. That's it. Yep. We live we live right outside of Allentown. Like our house is in South Whitehall Township, right outside of Allentown, PA. Okay. All right. Looks like it's a lot of connected small towns, basically. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's three, min three minor cities connected that are resurging. Okay. I want to switch subjects here a little bit. You get, you got into a serious accident when I when I saw you at the conference I go that that dude's got an awesome scar I mean <laughs> it looks like I painted on right like it fits my personality so much that it looks like I just paint this on every I didn't know who who you were at the time but I personally for guys I think scars just kind of add you know and, and so I go that that dude's got an oh, for awesome sure. to be totally honest I'm so happy it was him not me <laughs> I, I <know. laughs> he handled it so much better than I would it made me feel it made me feel okay about the fact that I genetically can't grow a beard because if I could grow a beard and have a facial scar there'd be no manly stuff but wow. you you've just got uh, just a nasty scar on your right eyebrow your your cheek going up into your head and um, can you can you talk a little bit about it. What happened? Sure. Sorry. We're laughing because I always make up stories as a joke before I tell a real one, but for the sake of time, I won't do that. So I, uh, we lived in Philly and um, we had one vehicle and Christina still worked as a nurse. So Christina is part-time at the church and still works one day a week at the hospital. So she had the car on a Thursday morning. And uh, so I rode my bicycle throughout the city to get around to save money when she had the car, excuse me. 
And so it was like 5.30 in the morning and I was riding my bicycle to go meet two brothers at the gym to work out. Before then, I rode my bike to a Bible study and uh, I walked out my door, been biking in the city for five years, always wear a helmet, big believer, you know, as a nurse, I know what head trauma can do. And so I always wore a helmet, uh, walked out of my door without my helmet for the first time in my life got two steps down the steps and went, no, I need my helmet. I, I yell at people all the time for not wearing their helmet. So I walk back in my room, get my helmet and then leave my apartment. So I, I'm mostly at fault here. Um, it's, it's a split fault between me and the driver, um, but I am at fault as well. So it's about probably 60, 40. Um, so I was bicycling the wrong way down a one way, which is something you should not do. Um, and then the other thing that everyone does in Philly when they bike, but you should not do is if you go to a stop sign first and you have the right of way, you just keep going rather than stopping. So I'm going down a one way on my bicycle and I get to the stop sign first and a car pulls up, but I'm already starting to go through. So I just keep going. I beat him there. I was already, I was already going through the intersection when he stopped. He stopped, looked to his left, not to his right because in one way and floored it. So he was like flooring from, from stop sign to stop sign. Um, and didn't realize that he was about to hit me. So by the grace of God, I managed to swerve and get around him because otherwise I'd be dead. It was an escalade that would have broken my ribs right into my lungs and sent me down a hill. It, it would have been bad. So I got around him and then swerved to avoid a parked car. And in vo avoiding the parked car, I popped the curb and there was a community garden of love and togetherness and it ripped me apart. So my bike hit the, the fence of the garden. I flew over the handlebars and went face first into the corner of a four by four wooden post that held up a sign that said love lives here or something like that. And I went face first into it. My helmet exploded, which actually saved my life. And the entire right side of my face, um, it's called a total degloving of the right side of the face. So the whole thing got ripped off. So I got scalped. yeah, I got That's scalped. What it looks like. um, so I didn't lose consciousness. I didn't break any bones. I didn't get a concussion. I'm laying on the ground. The guy who almost hit me is freaking out because my face is hanging off. And so I look at him and I was like, hey, it's okay. Call 911. I'm alive. And, and I realized there's like something over my eyelid and I thought it was the foam from my helmet. So I just went to remove it. And I, I went like, I pulled it and I realized I was pulling my skin and, and my hand was like six inches from my face. And I realized like, I'm still, I'm like moving my skin. Oh, and so goodness. I sat there and I, I kind of like touched the skull like my, my skull versus where my, the, the face was still there. And I was like, that's my skull. I was like, I probably shouldn't be moving. Um, <laughs> and so the EMT gets there um, and they get me in the car and, and they're asking me questions and driving me to the hospital. And I'm just thankful to be alive. And then my nursing background kicks in and I start realizing like I could have internal bleeding. I, I could die in the next hour or two. I was like, I might be here just for you. And so I literally like, I'm praying out loud. I was like, Hey man, I need to praise God that I'm still alive. Are you cool? I'll pray out loud. So, you know, I'm still awake, but can I, can I just pray? He's like, yeah, sure. I stopped praying. I was like, Hey man, I lead a church. You need to come. Like, what if I'm only here for you? So I start sharing with him and then I get in the ER and they're like assessing me and I'm just sharing my faith. At one point the, 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 the doctor was stitching my eyeball. Like he literally is like stitching me back together, like Humpty Dumpty. And he's like a millimeter away from my eyeball. And I was like, yeah, so uh, what do you think about Jesus? He's like, I'm stitching your eyeball. Stop talking. <laughs> he looked at Christina, and because Christina was there at this point, she'd come. And um, he looks at her and goes, is this, the, is this like the pain meds? And she goes, no, this is just him. This, this is <laughs> but then the worst, so then I was supposed to preach at ICMC the next day. Like we were going to take a bus. 
So they tell me I'm able to leave the hospital. And I was like, oh, sweet. I can go to ICMC. And this nurse, it felt like a record skip. And the nurse and the doctor and my wife all look at me like, you're not going to that conference. I was like, what do you mean? You're sending me home. So then I get all guilted that I can't go preach at this conference. So I called Jameson Malcolm and all the guys putting it together. I was like, you could like video chat me in. Like I'll still preach. Like I'll just cover my face. They can't see it. Like, dude, it's fine. Just just rest. I was like, no, I need to preach the gospel. And he doesn't know that I have to, he needed neuro checks every four hours and to be woken up in the middle of the night and the wound care that was like, none of that was occurring to him that that's what was I was still alive. I was going to teach people about Jesus. Like sit down. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Christina, what, what were your first thoughts when you came into that hospital room and you saw him with that, that massive scar and a flap of skin on the half side of his face? Um, so initially when I, I wasn't sure what I was walking into. Um, so I, I'd gotten a call from him on my way into work. Like on, I was going to work. I dropped off our son at his mom's house with him and, and so I get, a, I'm like, oh, why was he calling me? <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, so I, I call him back, doesn't answer. And I'm like, what is happening? So I hear from either a cop or one of the paramedics. I'm not sure who I talked to. Um, but he had said, like, your, your husband was in a, he was, he was hit. By, he t- they were told me he was hit by a car. And I asked him, was he, was he conscious? And they, they said, I can't confirm or deny that at the moment. You just need to get down here immediately. And I was like, okay. Um, so my first thought, and I kind of went dark with it because in Grey's Anatomy, uh, Derek Shepard gets hit by a car and he dies. And so I go, okay, this is a Shepard situation. And so I, I knew for, I did, I knew I just had to get down there to see it for myself. Um, and so one, I'm just, okay, I need to get down there in time. And so I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, I was just trying to drive safely to get down there. Um, Cause I, I kind of, I don't even know if it was like disassociated. The what ifs, you can't go there. Um, I knew I couldn't go there because then I wouldn't be able to make decisions or what I needed to do for him in the moment. And so I I get into the trauma bay and the security guard at the front was like, yo, you, and I had blue scrubs on, which were the same scrubs as the, as the nurses at, at Penn Presby, the trauma center he was at. He's like, yo, you gotta, you gotta see Flinchball, the guy in trauma bay too. And you should see his face. I was like, not helpful. And I just put oh, my hand he didn't know who you were. No, they had no idea. He was just like, it was like scuttlebutt there in the, the hospital. Like, oh, dude, well, do you so, have to see this so guy? So she walked in in the same color scrubs as everyone else on staff. Yeah. And she goes, hey, I'm here to see Flinchball. And he goes, you got to see that dude thinking it's just like he's a transporter. Yeah, or I'm, I'm just going to be his nurse. Um, oh and gosh. so I'm about, I, I'm seven weeks pregnant at this point with our daughter. Um, and so none of our family knew at that point that I was pregnant. And, and I get into the, I get into the room and as soon as I could see him talking, I was like, all right, he, he's conscious. Um, he's alive. Still has a C collar on, you know, he, he looks awful, um, but he's talking. And, and I think all of the emotion kind of flooded. And I just, I was about, I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. So, um, but in that, I think just the fact that he was alive and then he, you know, he starts talking and he starts going, Hey, you know, I have this Bible study then. Can you text this person? And I have an iPhone. He's got a droid. I don't know how to work that thing. So he's able to give me instruction on how to cancel the Bible study and move it to another day. And 
text this person. I, I just wanted to smack him because I was so annoyed that I thought he was dead or something else. And I also, they, they, had, to, they like, had to cut my shirt off me. And there was a gym shirt I had that she hated because it was like so beat up and raggedy, but I wouldn't throw it away. She walks in and the first thing I say is, it wasn't the shirt you hated that they cut off me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Christina, I want to double back on what we were talking about earlier. What advice would you give to a person who's struggling with a, an eating disorder? It's not a battle you fight and alone. I, I, I think Satan is very crafty in how he wants to, he wants to use it. And you'd be like, yeah, I'm doing really great. Um, I have structure. Um, and then all of a sudden something happens where you just whether something happens in your family and you're like, okay, I'm done eating. I'm not going to eat anymore. Or, or I want to throw up or I want, you know, whatever the vices um, that you, that you use. Um, and so for, for me, I, no matter where I lived, I needed people to know me um, that it was for me, I saw it and I still see it as life or death um, that you need to know me and I'm going to do everything in my power for you to know me inside and out, how I think, how I respond. And I'm gonna give you 100% full permission to ask all the questions and say all the hard things um, because I need it. And I, I desperately need people to be that for me. Um, and so a lot of it is just being being willing to say the, the embarrassing or the, the more shame that a comment or a fear or an emotion has, the more that Satan wants you to hold it back and I'm convinced that the more strongly I feel that I need to hold it back, all the more reason I need to say it. Mm -hmm. and, you know, even I'd say even a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm on the phone with one of my best friends and, and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I feel like I'm going down this rabbit hole and I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm starting to spiral. I don't quite, I'm not quite there, but I need you to check up on me next week. I can't tell if this is just cyclical or situational, but I need you to just ask me about this the next time we talk. And so for, for me, it's being able to fight that with other people in your corner. Mm. Um, and it, it doesn't look the same for everybody. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. So, okay, Kurt, you, you had this accident. How's it affected your outlook on life, having this massive scar? Yeah, I, I think two things. Uh, one, I'm very thankful for the scar. Um, for me, it is a daily visible reminder that God is in control, not me. Um, every time I see it, I'm reminded of all the million different factors that could have went into making it different and God's in control. And as someone who um, has a tendency to try to control everything and, and um, has a lot of just struggles with pride and it's good for me to remember that God's really in control, not me. The second thing is I, I really think it's kind of made me realize at a very at a, at a younger age than I think most people do, life is really short and fragile, um, and and you really aren't promised tomorrow. Like nothing about my schedule showed me I might die that Thursday, um, and so I think there really is a drive in both of us now that like I'm I'm going to make today count. I'm I'm going to live today for all it's got, and I'm going to be thankful for what God gives me: the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, the joyful. Like it's it's life, and it's full, and God wants me to experience life to the full, and so I'm, I'm ready to go. Like I'm, I'm I live a life that's that's ready to to go. I'm ready to meet God right now. There's nothing in my life I haven't talked about. There's nothing in my life like I'm ready to go meet God right now. Mm 
Mm. I'm ready to go change the world for God right now. I'm ready to go do an adventure right now. Like, let's go snowboarding. Let's go, let's, right. let's go run a marathon. Let's whatever, like, let's sign up. Let's let's, I'm ready to go. Cause I want to soak up every ounce of life we have that God has given me. Okay. So when you face God, what, what do you want to present him with? What, what do you want him to say? Uh, do you want to answer first? So the, the only thing I could think of when I face God is, um, I, I think of like middle school when, when you, you and a friend are in class and you're laughing at something and the teacher separates you, but you know that if you look at this friend, you're going to start busting out laughing and not be able to control it. And, and that's kind of what I, I want to be able to have that interaction with God is like, when I see him, we have a bunch of inside jokes and we just both bust out laughing because we, and we know each other. And, and so that's, that's kind of the, I don't, I'm not really sure what I'd want him to say or what other conversation we'd have, but I just want to be cracking up because he knows the nonsense that goes on in my head and the things I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for me, the, the first part of your question, like, what do I want to present to God? Me. Like, I want to give him my, I want to just present my life. And I just want to show him everything since my baptism. Hey God, this was for you. Um, and, and what that means, I don't, whatever he wants to do with it is up to him. If I'm a Jeremiah and no one ever listens to me, okay. If, if, if I'm a Paul and I plant churches all over, whatever, God, here's my life. Um, and I think what I want to hear is just, I'm proud of you. You know, it's cliche, but like, well done, good, faithful servant. I, I just want to hear, I'm proud of you, son. Um, and I know he is. Like, I, I know that's what I'm going to hear because of grace, but I can't wait to hear those words. And I can't wait to just present the gift of my life and be like, God, this was for you. Um, okay, so what, what would you consider your superpower? You get to do this one first. <sighs> We debated answering this for each other because we had a hard time. I was like, I don't know if I can share about, um, I can share about you. <laughs> so life has a lot of fires, right? And, and I, I feel like there can be a lot of like traumas or situations that happen in life. And I, I genuinely have a joy at throwing gasoline and hairspray onto fires and watching them burn <laughs> and <laughs> laughing about it. I, I'm I know, sorry. Can, I know, you, I'm can sorry. you say that one more time? <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that life has a, a lot of fire. Do I need to say this again? <laughs> I'm just not sure I quite heard that right. Okay. You can edit this later if you need to. Mm. Um, but li- life just can be difficult and it can be hard. And there's lots of, there's lots of fires, whether it's, you know, you have personal situations going on or there's political stuff going on or church stuff going on. And, world stuff going on. And those little fires, I genuinely enjoy throwing gasoline and hairspray at them and watching them explode. Um, okay. And <laughs> I'll translate that for my wife. Okay. So if you don't know her sense of humor, Sorry. what she's sharing is it, she really has the ability to laugh at the days to come. Mm. Like no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, she never gets bogged down by it. No matter how tense, no matter how strong, much pressure how painful something is she's able to fly thirty thousand feet above it just laughing and being with god and being okay um and so for her it's like she can find a joke in any moment she can find a reason to be a light and have joy 
in the darkest moments, even if it's really dark humor, because we're both nurses. And so we have some dark humor at times, yeah. but. I think just being able to laugh at the chaos, like life's going to be crazy. Things are unpredictable. Things are going to go wrong. So what? Like just, just roll with it. Um, and if I, if I'm not laughing and I'm not having fun, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Not yep. meaning that avoid the hard things. I think you right. should, you should face hard things. You should do what's uncomfortable. That's how you live. That's yeah. how you actually live. She has a banner up in our home gym in the garage that she chose, uh, that she picked up yeah. that says, uh, comfort is a slow death, prefer pain. And it's the same thing. It's like, lean into it. Find a reason to laugh in it, but lean yeah. into it. Um, and that's kind of one of her life mottos, I think. Um, for me, yeah. so I, I think my superpower would just be like a joyful grit. Um, like if you've seen the Lego movie, you know, Emmett is like, everything is awesome. <laughs> you just sang. Um, I did just sing on a podcast. Oh, done no. that. I'm sorry for everyone's eardrums. You just heard me sing. Um, but I, I think there's just a part of me. It's like, I, I'm not going to quit. Like, I don't, whatever it is, like God's going to work it out. And, and I, I don't care how bad. And like, I may, I may be crawling this week. I may not be moving. I ain't quitting. Like I'm going to hold on to God and not let go. And I'm going to find a reason to see his power in no matter how bad something is like God's doing something through it. It's going to be worth it in the end. Um, and so there's, there's just a grit to keep going. I think. You guys work in the nursing field in the psych ward for you, Kurt, what are some of the funniest or weirdest things that have happened to you? Um, so I, I, I used to, I haven't worked in nursing now for six or seven years. Um, but Christina still works. Um, I, for me, Christina's got a good story for this one with like our cat when we were in Philly, but in the psych field, the weirdest thing is like maliciously being peed at or having poop maliciously thrown at you repeatedly. Um, that's probably the weirdest, like multiple times of like patients who, um, like they're in a, they're in their, in the quiet room and they want to get out. So they pee on the floor. So, and I worked with kids and so it's coming through and there's just some good, funny stories of like laughing in the chaos and figuring out ways to make that not miserable um yeah i in the however many years it's been 12 years of working as a nurse i it all none of it surprises me anymore um i just go yeah okay that's about right i'll, I'll see you soon i'll see you again in another month um and so because i float between er telemetry and med surge and so i'll kind of get to, I like to mix it up a little bit. Um, so when I walk into work, I kind of, I don't know what floor I'm going to be sent to. And so I kinda, I like the mystery, um, but I, I feel like more fun happens and the funny stuff happens like in just the everyday life. Uh, we, <laughs> we had a cat that was our, that was our practice child. Um, I grew up with, I grew up with a crazy cat ladies. I am like fourth generation of them. Um, but I, I had learned that I don't like cats. Um, for the reason being, we had a cat in, uh, in Philly, which I feel like any household in the city should have a cat for any mice. Um, this cat was especially good at, at hunting. Um, and so we were, we were sleeping one night and, and I can feel, feel the cat just kind of like batting at my leg. And I'm like, what is he doing? And, and so I like, I push him off the bed, comes back, batting at my leg again. I'm like, what are you playing with the like strings or I had little fuzzies on my socks. I was like, what are you playing with? So I go and I'm, I'm like reaching back and I'm like, I feel 
And I go, what, what is that? And it's like squishy. I'm like, that's not your paw. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a mouse. He put a mouse in my, he was playing with the mouse behind me. And so I go to jump and I, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a mouse. So I go to jump, but I don't want to go on the side of the bed where the mouse is. So I'm going to jump over Kurt to get out of the bed. I go to jump over Kurt. He grips me midair. And I'm like, there's a mouse in the bed. It's a freaking out at him. And, and he goes, you're just dreaming. Cause I would do something like that normally in my sleep. Puts me back with the half dead mouse in the bed. And I'm freaking out. <laughs> so of course, you know. There's that, mouse blood all over our white oh. sheets. Oh, no. so the mouse is still, still, still alive at this point. Yeah. Barely yeah. alive. This is why I'm convinced the cats are from Satan. Because they just lay with it. Oh my, I just, I can't imagine if that were my wife. Oh my gosh. Way to go, Kurt. Just, just, just put her back in there. I just, I I was asleep and I just caught her. I was like, you're dreaming. I just caught her. Fighting for my life. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thank you for sharing that story. Okay. Since we're talking about different, different memories, share about something that's really moved you. Share, share about something that really touched you deeply. Go for it. Um, so, so I think there's two. Um, I think one was we, a long story short, because I feel like we've shared lots of long stories. Um, I, I was in a bad place about six months into being a Christian. Um, I pushed people out of my life a lot. Um, I think part of it was an overreaction to not knowing how to help Christina through her depression and her treatment and the eating disorder. And so I, I, I was not necessarily, I was trying to do it on my own and, and that only lasts so long. And so I, I got bitter and, and I was in a bad place and we go to the ACR, the region we're in had a regional conference and um, we go down there, we're on the boardwalk in Virginia beach. Uh, I mean, I, again, I'm in a bad place. I, I almost get in a fist fight with someone on the boardwalk before the conference. And um, I walk into the conference during worship and there's 3000 people worshiping God. And I just get stopped dead in my tracks. And one of the few brothers that I knew happens to walk by me and he grabs me by the shoulders and goes, everyone in here is your brother or sister in the faith. And I just lost it. I just started weeping, realizing like God loves me so much and I am just failing everyone here. Mm. And God still lets me come here. Like God, because I almost got in a fight because someone threw a beer bottle at me randomly. I was just walking the boardwalk. I almost, again, I almost died. Beer bottle almost hit me from like the 10th floor of a building. And, and it was just this realization of like, I'm still here. And, and so like, I was on the beach till three in the morning that morning, just begging God to change my heart and, um, and just realizing how much I needed people and how much I needed to let people in my life. And I, I couldn't try to do this on my own. That's, that's the first one. The second one is actually having our daughter. Um, like when I had my son, I cried, but when I had my daughter, I, I bawled my eyes out, just praying, just realizing how much the world was going to try to take away all of her value and my job of instilling her value in her um, and just the weight of that responsibility of like really showing her how loved she is regardless of the world's going to try to do. Um, I, I, I still tear up with that a lot, I think. So I think those moments are just powerful in my life. I got really engrossed into what you were saying and I forget the question. <laughs> the question, I'm sorry. What, what's moved you to tears? For me, I'm, I'm really emotionally delayed. <laughs> um, I, I don't really feel things right away. It usually takes me a while. 
to to get around to that. <laughs> um, usually, but I when I when I see people crying, if you're crying, I'm gonna start crying. Um, so it, I will I will sympathetically cry with you. And if you got ugly tears, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so yeah, that's I'd pretty much say that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I think I, of, I think of our wedding day. In sickness and in health, we both just lost it. Yeah, I think when for oh yeah, absolutely. Um, during our, in our when we were saying our wedding vows, and because I had like, everything we had been through with treatment and things like that, the minute that you know in the vows when it says through sickness and in health, and realizing like how much sickness and in health we've had versus what we could potentially be facing, um, because I wasn't out of the woods when I got when we got married, um, and. And so I, I think even in that moment, both promising to each other, sickness and in health. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that was a really powerful one. Mm-hmm. There. What do you guys find inspiring? Anything new. I I love change. I love trying something new. If nobody else wants to do it, I'm all for it. Uh, I love just the experience of anything uncomfortable, anything that's scary, except public speaking. I still don't like it and I still find it scary and it's (laughs) not something I love. But um, I think anything new and uncomfortable that's going to push me mentally or push me physically to to not quite the breaking point. I think Kurt likes the breaking point a whole lot more than I do. Um, but I, I want to do things that are that are hard, and I, I think that's what inspires me is to keep trying to push. That there are no, there really aren't too many limits. I think we put a lot more limits on our on ourselves than we think. And we do less than we think we really can, and, um, and so I, I just like pushing and seeing what we can do, what I can handle. Um, and then when it's all crazy and chaotic and all burning in front of me, I just laugh. Mm. Yeah. And then you pick up the pieces typically. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think for me, it's, I think I'm always inspired when I see like God's fingerprints. And I think I see them the clearest in like the beauty of creation. And so like sunrises, sunsets, mountains, oceans, snowfall, like anywhere you can just kind of something that takes your breath away for a moment. that kind of makes you stop anything that makes you stop and pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the same thing in the kind of the fingerprints and God of God's of God's power in people's lives. And so anytime like stories of, of people failing and rising from that failure, um, stories of people overcoming incredible odds and like surviving against the odds or um, seeing friends of mine or, or myself or people I know, like pushing themselves to the very limit um, and, and, and coming back from that failure and growing. Like, I think there's just a lot of inspiration in seeing the power of God as he grows things through that to me. Um, and it pushes me to want to be better. Wow. I was talking to my son, James, and he said, you got to talk to Kurt about his, his outreach. And you've gotten involved in some activities in the community to, to increase your outreach. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah. So we, I'm a big believer in like, as Christians were called, to be a light. And, and I think we're called to be evangelistic, but we're called to be evangelistic in 
in multiple ways. Like if I had to fish the creek down the street from my house to feed my family, I'd have four different rods in the water at all times, right? Mm-hmm. I'd have I'd have something live bait that's just, you know, on there that I can leave in there until something hits it. It could be in there all day. I'd have some type of like power bait or chunk, um, like, you know, something smelly that's going to have to change every couple hours. And, and then I'd have a lure that I'm actively trying to find. And I think when I look at what it means to, to be a light and to be a disciple and to be evangelistic, I need to have multiple forms of, of evangelism in my life. I need to have cold contact, get out there, be a lure, just find people. Um, and then I also need to have relationships. I need to have where I'm just, I'm a staple in the community. I'm, I'm friends with people and, and we can serve them and love them and show them Jesus through our lives. And if any one of them wants to know God, then amen, I'm here. If not, well, you're going to see God through my life and you're, you're just going to get to know him through knowing me. Um, and so I think we've tried really hard, like Christina started mom's groups, um, where she's had like, um, mom's groups in the middle of the day. We have disciples in our church who are involved in like local city council and stuff. Um, but, but about a year ago we had MLK day of service and I got really convicted realizing like, I, I wasn't serving my community in South Whitehall, like as a church we were serving, but I, I just didn't have any ongoing service to my community where I could just be a light and get to know my, my neighbors really well. Um, and so I was on a prayer walk trying to figure out how to serve. And, um, because of my background in psych nursing and my kind of adrenaline junkie nature, God put in my heart, like, what about volunteer firefighting? And so there's a volunteer fire hall down the street. And I was like, all right, God, if this is something you want me to do, have them be sitting outside. So I turned the corner and there's six guys sitting outside on a 46 degree day. And I was like, all right, God. So I walk up and talk to them and, um, joined about nine months ago, still learning a ton. Um, but I think we're always looking for ways to just be involved and to, to have our roots in the community where we can make a difference in people's lives and serve them and show them Jesus. And if they're open, then amen. And if not, well, they're going to see him through my life and through my friendship. So, wow. Have you been called out on any fires? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning. Like I'm, I'm still in training. This is a, there's a steep learning curve. So I've, I've, I've gone to uh, calls, um, but, but I, I'm, I'm always serving more of a backup role right now just because I'm still learning what I'm doing. Okay. Okay. So s- since you came to the Lehigh Valley, the, the church has nearly doubled. So you're using multi- basically multiple lines in the water. What, what has proved most effective for you guys? What, what areas have been growth centers for you in your, your planting? Is there any one thing or is it just kind of scattered? I, I think it's <clears throat> using what you have. Um, so, For us, we have uh, a son in kindergarten and a daughter in a preschool. And so for the preschool, I'm like, I'll be very intentional about, you know, staying, getting there a little early so I can meet all the parents or or staying late and kind of connecting with the parents in some way and and being able to exchange numbers and meet up for play dates. So I I really kind of pawn my children off to be able to connect (laughs) with other parents. Um, And so even with my son who's in kindergarten, the because of, I don't know if it's because of COVID or just the way the school is, um, I don't, I'm not very, I'm not in the school. So I put a, we'll do like little invitations and I put my phone number in his lunchbox to hand out to all the kids in class. Um, And so I think things like that, just using what you have, I love to run. And so there's a couple of girls at the fire hall that her and I, one of them will, will lift at like 530 in the morning here in the garage, or we'll go for, go for a run um, just use whatever, whatever we like and whatever we have. And I, I feel like it's, 
if you love something, if you have a hobby, God's going to use it and you can connect with people yeah. on that. And that's and going from there. That reminds yeah. me of my, my discussion with Ben and Susan Borland a couple episodes ago. Susan was in a running club and she's, she met people that way. So there's certainly a commonality there. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there's not like one area of the church that's like light years ahead of everything else. I think our growth's been like every area has seen growth. Like there's not one ministry really blowing it out. I, I think they're all just loving people and every group is really working on mm-hmm. building family and, family and getting connected to people. And so there's growth there. And so like on campus, it's like finding students and building family there Our singles our young professionals. Like we don't, our Bible talk is social hour. We realize that our, the 60% of Lehigh Valley is single. And one of our singles to quote them said, where are they at though? Like, I, I we can't find them. <laughs> so we, just, we realized like our group needed, like what the biggest need of our area was, was a, a wholesome place for singles to come and hang out with their friends other than a bar. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, well, let's make a happy hour at our house without alcohol every Friday night. And so our yo pros just have social hour where we like our house yeah. backs up to a park. And so we'll get a projector on the side of the house and play super smash brothers with 16 people taking up the entire side of my garage and have a bonfire going and just eating good food. Um, I have a hobby of barbecue. And so I just use that to invite people over and we just have dinner with people and smoke meat for them and hang out and I think every area of the church is really involved in building community and loving people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see God moving through that. And, and sometimes it's, you just build really great friendships and you never know where God's going to go with it. And other times you see people that are like actively looking for God. Um, and, and it's all a mix of just every area is trying to learn how to love and serve um, and be a family. So what are you doing with your church to help it come out of COVID and the impact of COVID on it in order to, to strengthen it? Uh, so one thing, and anyone from the Lehigh Valley Church that's not in our leadership that hears this message, it's coming out next month. Um, so spoiler alert, uh, but we are definitely taking from the CLIMB Conference, uh, the uh, Go With God book and the series. We, we, we're all in on it. We've spent the last two months or a month and a half working with our leadership group, getting them kind of familiar with it, making sure we're ready. We ordered a whole mess of them. We're ready to go. I, I, one of the things we found is we spent a lot of time through COVID trying to teach people like how to be really great in your discipling relationship or, or how to be really great at studying the Bible with people. Yeah. And I think we've realized, at least in our church, uh, there's so much life going on that it's kind of like BBs off a tank. Like it's just people are so overwhelmed with life and with everything going on. They need tools. And so I think a lot of what we're trying to do this year is just putting tools in people's hands to help them have something they can have with them to use. Um, I think we also like, I also think like really loving people and believing in them. I think one of the things that the, the church here is really good at and powerful at is, is just believing in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reality is like, it does it, kind of the prodigal mi- son mindset. Like it doesn't matter where you've been, you're here now and, and realizing people, you can be in a really bad spot, but that's not the end of your story. And so I'm going to walk with you through that and believe in how God is molding you. And I think that's proven very fruitful and just having that faith in what mm-hmm. God is doing in someone's life, even despite how dark it may be at the moment. Yeah, I, I think even our strength is just us two is connection um, and building family. When I became a Christian, it wasn't in this campus silo. It was my best friends. I was 19 and my my closest friends were moms of of kids. And so I had I had friends who, who went across all life stages. And, and so I think even just that connection and building family. Um, but then also assessing what are the strengths of the church. And it is really having fun. 
Um, and, and so, you know, what you'll have is like a standard women's day, but we don't make it very spiritual. We make it just have fun. And I want the world to see how fun we can, we have together because we are a family and we'll get to the spiritual stuff, but we, we got to connect first. Yeah. I think even with that, like, I think that is what, like, what are we doing to help people grow after COVID? We're having a lot of fun. Like we're just making church fun. Like even it started as a joke, but one of our single brothers uh, created, along with my wife's help, created a bingo <laughs> card for my sermons, for topics that I talk about. And, and so like things like barbecue, Tough Mudder, um, races, wood stove, fireplaces, like these things I'm passionate about that I talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you hear me talk about it, you get to check off the bingo card with it. And the first person to get bingo on their card wins. And so like our whole church during service is taking incredible notes, but not only taking notes, they have their bingo card ready and I haven't seen it. So I don't know what's on it. I can guess, <laughs> but like, it's just, we're going to laugh at life. Like we're going to have fun. Like let's be a family and enjoy this as we see God use us. Um, so, so they help. set up a bingo card with things that they think you're going to mention. Yeah. So things that I'm passionate about, I talk about. So like one, of, I'm sure one of them is, I know when I said this past Sunday, uh, or two weeks ago, I was like water, like, cause I'm from the Philly area. So the correct way of saying H2O is W O O D E R. Um, and so if I make a stink out of water, um, or if I, if I say, I love the snow, that was one that I said this past Sunday that one yeah. of the brothers was like, Oh, and like pulled out his notebook and wrote on it. Oh, I was like, Oh, gosh. I said one. Right. Um, but it's just fun. Like, I, I think the fact that we can enjoy each other and enjoy church and enjoy being disciples. And That's awesome. Life. Okay. So, I want you to imagine if you were made the czar of campus ministry in 2022, you by you know, kingdom wide, what, what would be your first three things you would, you'd call people to do to revive and energize their campus ministries? There's no one size fits all. And I think I'd scream that from the rooftops <laughs> that every campus ministry is going to look different. Every individual in the campus ministry is going to look different. And that needs to be okay. Um, that schools out here, you know, going to Kutztown, it's a state school of what, eight to 10,000 students out in the valley is going to look very different than a campus ministry in yeah. Center City, Philadelphia. Um, the culture, the sense of humor, the gifts, the talents, the strengths, all of that's going to be so different. Um, and that's okay. I think it just not having to, to fit a mold and not looking to try and fill that mold. Yeah. She mentioned Kutztown because shameless plug. We're trying to plant a region at Kutztown <laughs> in the fall. We're trying to do a one-year challenge. And you'd like to just email info. We have Ellie. Glad that right in um, there. I think if I, if I had to, I think the three things that come to mind are one, prayer and fasting. Um, I, it's got to be about God. Um, I think two, all I would talk about would be we have to make it about surrendering to God. Like if someone were to ask me like, what's wrong? Like, how do we fix what's broken? I don't know that it is broken. Like we have to be surrendered to what God is doing. If God is pruning us, he's pruning us. If he's leading us, he's leading us. All I'm going to do is try to be in step with God. And I'm going to pray like crazy for God to show me what he's doing in this season and how I can embrace it and partner with it. And then I think the final step is like, have fun. I think it's like prayer and fasting surrender to all right where is god taking us and have fun that's awesome thank you so what advice would you give to those who want to make this life count 
they're, you know, you have hot, hot topic words, um, like the word trigger and a lot of words on trauma. And, and I, I do think it's very important to work through your past. I do think that's, it's crucial. And I, I do think it's, it makes who you are, but I don't think you're stuck there. And so I, I, when it comes to making this life count, I think it's let the past be in the past and, and move forward from it. Um, there's one of my favorite movies is uh, <laughs> Lone Survivor. And one of the, there's, I think it's like three soldiers and one of them gets, one of them gets shot. And he's like, I'm shot, I'm shot. And, and one of the other soldiers goes, you're living in the past, Danny. And I, we're all shot. Like every one of them was shot. And, and I think that I love that, that you're not going to live where you were. You keep moving forward. You keep progressing. You keep changing. And bottom um, line, having fun. Yeah. It has to be fun and do hard things to really live and to really just let go of that self-preservation, to let go of those fears, those what ifs. Um, most of those fears are not real, but even if some of those fears are valid from things that have happened to you in the past, that is real, that is valid, but that doesn't need to affect the trajectory of the rest of your life. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's it's hold on to God and don't quit. I think it, if I were talking to someone who's not a disciple, who hasn't repented and made Jesus Lord, been baptized and is living for Jesus, you got to do that. You got to grip on to God. And then once you do that, you don't let go. Right. Like I, I just think you want to make your life count. Don't quit on God. I don't care how, how slow you're going, how dark it is, how, how you might be fighting someone on the boardwalk before a church conference. I don't care. You just don't stop. Like God's still writing your story. Don't quit on the author of your life. Um, and I think that's like, if you hold on, it'll count. God will use it. And like, when you get to heaven, you'll see the impact you made. Like I think of Jeremiah a lot and like, you know, if Jeremiah were honest about his life, I guarantee he'd feel like a failure. But yet how many millions of people have been impacted and changed their lives because of reading what God did through him. And I think so often we get this small little view of this world and what we're doing and the impact. And God's like, just chill out, man. I'm doing something bigger. Just trust me. Keep fighting. Keep holding on. I'm going to do something phenomenal. And I think if we can believe that, then God's going to change thousands of lives through every individual we touch. That's awesome. Christina, I, I've got to ask you, just talking to Kurt here for the first time, I mean, he, he reminds me of a one-year-old black lab re- retriever. I mean, so much, so much energy, just, just super friendly, loads of energy. You guys seem very different to me. How, how have you learned to, to live with Kurt and with the differences between you? Um, he might be the hyper lab, um, but I just, I love having all these fun ideas. I am, I'm definitely the dreamer. Um, I, I like to come up with all these ideas and then he's got all the energy to try and put them together. <laughs> um, but even, even as a kid, I, before I was allowed to go into my babysitter's home, I had to do laps in the backyard. Um, and so before I was, you know, I had to do some sprints in the backyard because I had so much energy going into it. Um, but I, I'm definitely not the, the outward, in your face, zealous, excited pet puppy, yeah. for sure. Um, I think, but it's a lot of fun though. I think it helps because like, 
so we used to do this in our campus ministry in Philly. Once people got to know us, like incoming freshmen, we'd give them a couple of weeks and then I would ask them, okay, so who's crazier, me or Christina? And everyone without fail would go, when you first meet the two of you, you think it's Kurt. As soon as you get to know the two of you, Christina's really the one. Because what happens is mine's really upfront and right. obvious and loud. Right. right. And Christina's is like, as she gets to know you and loves you, like, and so we balance each other really well. And so I think we're, we're both crazy enough for each other. I have a diagnosis to back my up, so. <laughs> I don't, but I'm sure I could. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey guys, thank you so much for the time. It's been great to talk to you. I uh, just want to wish you every blessing in your ministry there in Lehigh Valley. Amen. Thank and so thank much. you. Thank you for what you're doing, Rob. It's been, um, I think in the midst of COVID and hearing a lot of bad things, hearing the podcast and being connected to what God's doing all over the world has been really good for my faith and my heart. So thank Breath you for what you're doing air. here. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.